Birdie Boy Productions is so excited to present Shane Torres' first stand-up special called Blue-Eyed Mexican. It premieres at 4 p.m. Pacific time, December 10th, on YouTube. So please go to YouTube, 4 p.m. Pacific time, December 10th, and check out Blue-Eyed Mexican. You can find it on Shane's YouTube channel, Shane Torres, or Bert Kreischer. Thank you so much for watching. I can't wait for the world to see it. Do you ask for help, Kathy? I never need help. Uh, yeah, I don't think anyone in this group ever asks for help. And I think it's problematic. I'm here to say that it's problematic. Did you just say, I don't ever need help? Yeah. <laughs> I got a brand new pair of skates. You got a brand new jeans. Should we talk about this book? Oh, whatever. <laughs> From strength to strength. Band is not a strength. As of you listening, it is an app used for communicating via Girl Scouts. And as with and probably other Scout, things, maybe. I'm sure. It's for any kind of like team type thing. Like it's for sports teams or whatever. And we got forced out of Shutterfly. Yep. I mean, couldn't they have just waited like one more year? Uh, yeah. Come two, on. Two would have been good. Two or three or three. <laughs> <laughs> Since we have I mean, selfishly, three would have been great. <laughs> uh, so funny. Christine downstairs like, I was talking about zip lining and Girl Scouts. And she was like, this is your last year. And I went, oh, no, it's not. <laughs> One would think. <laughs> no, it's not. I, you know, I really didn't want to quit till we hit 15. And that's what I said. I need 15 years under my belt. No, I told her the story of how Sandy set us up and then ditched us mm -hmm. and left us holding a... And not just Sandy. Her kids ditched us too. <laughs> right? They all True. ditched and left us holding that a Girl Scout family. bag. Yep. So two more years. But I mean... We don't all three have to go every week. I think it'll be a lot easier. Yeah. Take some time off, maybe. Anyway, the book, From Strength to Strength. Yeah, I feel like kind of a jerk for suggesting this. And <laughs> I, I was definitely thinking that as I was reading it. <laughs> yeah, it was not what I expected it to be. Did anyone else, did it throw you almost entirely into a clinical depression? Because it it freaking, it, it, it really, it screwed me up for me. Yeah. So the, I mean, the premise is supposed to be from strength to strength, moving on, like as some strengths decline with age, like for example, as an athlete's <laughs> um, athleticism declines as they age, they transition to other strengths. And I was like, yes, I want to hear about this. And really the, the first third of the book is talking about how precipitously and horrifically we decline in all of the ways cognitively etc cetera, etc cetera. and yes it was depressing uh-huh mm -hmm. yeah it it agreed it, i hated it uh, yeah. in the beginning i kept not picking it up cuz i was like i don't want this information in my brain you know how some people like to watch car accidents and or <laughs> like to watch horror movies i don't like to watch horror movies because i don't want that in my brain um all well and good for everybody else. The Handmaid's Tale. Oh, best show ever. I don't want that in my brain. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't want that in my brain. So I kept going to this book going, I do not want to know that I am losing short-term memory, that I my effectiveness and my creativity is in the toilet, and there's really nothing you can do about it. I mean, I tried to justify it a million ways. You know, I did write for a little bit, but then I pushed pause. So could I pick it back up in my 20 years of creativity start over again now that I've paused 20 years ago? Or have I just lost all of it? 
Now that doesn't make me want to even try to write an essay about anything, you know? Yes, Mm -hmm. although I will say that his data, it's pretty specific. So when he said that about writers, that writers decline after about 20 years, yeah, I thought, well, does that mean pressing pause? Because if you look at like um, Lessons in Chemistry, that really hot book slash Apple TV series right now, it was written by a 65-year-old woman, and I believe it is her debut um, work. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many stories like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I really question his data because, yes, we can see that, for, for example, sitcom writing, that is a young person's game. Mm-hmm. And people complain that, about older people being edged out over the years. But then when I look at memoir writing, any decent memoir that I've ever read, uh, I mean, there are always a few exceptions, but I mean, a handful of exceptions are written by somebody who's at least over the age of 40, very often over the age of 50, over the age of 60, sometimes over the age of 70, maybe even over like much, much older. And that's, those are the, I think that actually ties in with what he talks about um, synthesizing information mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and having wisdom. Um, so I, I think in the genre of memoir, he is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, what other genre is he wrong? Let's think about it. What are you good at when you're older? Well, he says that you're you're good at um, that historians. And I, I just thought, oh, I'm not a historian. So how's this going to help me? But I think that that may be able to apply to a lot of different areas. Um, just the history of whatever your field is like. So um it, it sort of comes with wisdom and like having the knowledge when he talked about how um, tech companies are really making a mistake by not having age diversity, mm-hmm. that they're really so young that 30 is considered old yeah. in mm-hmm. tech companies. And what they're missing out on is that wisdom, that sort of breadth of experience. And that sort of like ties into the history, like being a historian mm-hmm. in your field mm-hmm. and really seeing like, well, you know, in the sixties, the way this sort of thing played out, I saw this sort of thing play out. And um, yeah. I do experience that here mm-hmm. in Bert's career because I've been here for so long. There are people actually that work in this office sometimes that'll say something. I'll go, oh, but. 15 years ago, mm-hmm. Bert did this with that person and it turned out great or it turned or they've already done that or something like that, but because they don't have the history. Now that's specific to Bert, but you're right in certain areas, my dad working on cars, you know, mm-hmm. the the longer you do that, the more broad your skill set is in figuring out and problem solving all those things. So um yeah, I didn't like the first third because it just kept saying, uh, you're in decline. It just going, <laughs> it, I kept hearing, I'm talking to you, Leanne. <laughs> this is for you, Leanne. Yeah, well, and sucks for you, Leanne. And That's furthermore, so it wasn't just like you were in decline. It was also, to me, somebody who started out working and got married, paused, got married, raised kids was more of a, uh, was a stay-at-home mom for longer than I think I planned on all of a sudden to be in midlife, to be in my fifties and go, oh, and now guess what? You're in decline. Your, <laughs> your striving years are over. And I'm like, oh, so I don't get to have a career now? Like, right. well, okay, I guess I missed that boat completely. Right. <laughs> but no, that's not true. Well, 
It's not true, right? No, it's not true. Okay, good. Okay, good. You didn't answer, so I was like, wait, is it true? I don't know. It's not true. It's not true. It's unclear. It's unclear. It's unclear. Um, I have to say the first three quarters of the book, I was like, (laughs) fuck this. Kathy, keep it real. Did they have in the last quarter? No, they did not. <laughs> so However, it's the whole book. they were tolerable in the last quarter of the book, in my opinion. The last quarter of the book is about weaknesses being a strength and vulnerability yes. being a strength. I, you know so. what? I felt it's interesting that you said um, you felt like he was speaking to you. I felt like this entire book, I was like, dude, you are so massively specific. I wish this topic were more broad. Oh. Like I kept going, this is so irrelevant. I don't give a shit about oh. what you're saying at all. Like I felt like he was so specific about if you're a CEO and you're a striver and you're a workaholic, blah, 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 then you're going to decline on all of this. And I'm like, I'm none of those things. Mm-hmm. Like I've never been a CEO. I've never been like the person who needs that accolades and all that stuff that you strive for. Like my career was much more like the wins are so minute and no one ever saw them except my client and me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like I felt it so unrelatable and yet really important information that I would never have read. I would have thrown this book in the like, do not read pile after chapter two. Wow. It was uh, it was really hard to get through, uh, I thought. Interesting uh, you yeah. say that because, I'm going to say this because, I'm not an, I'm not necessarily an achievement like mm-hmm. I got that brass ring, but I am a work your ass off sun up mm-hmm. to sundown person. I always have been. And but what's happening now at this age um is I'm I'm forgetting things easier. Like if I don't mm-hmm. write it down, it pretty much didn't happen. And I can't find things on my computer and I'm losing my phone constantly and um, I'm missing appointments. And, you know, one might say it's because I'm really busy. I'm busier now than I ever have been. But I don't, I think that's only part of the story. I think the other part of the story is what he's talking about, Mm -hmm. is that my brain is just not as clear or as sharp as it used to be. You know, I used to be able to work all day, like the stamina just in my day is not the same. And I did take good notes from him in that what I was hearing myself say, well, what is the, you're reacting this strongly because there's truth in it for you, Mm -hmm. for me. So you're pissed off and angry and you don't want to read this book and it's making you feel depressed and down and like defeated and life is over. Well, you know in your brain, life is not over. What he's saying is there are natural transitions that happen in life. I am in a transition. I'm about to be in an empty nester. I am at one year of menopause, so I'm assuming I'm done with it. Those are inarguable transitions in your life. And this guy is putting a transition like in my face that I don't really want to deal with entirely. I only (coughs) want to deal with it partly. But my takeaway is I need to be kinder to myself in this transition. And I need to be kinder to myself in my decline, right? It is a decline that I don't have the stamina I used to have. That's a decline. But why is a decline bad? Maybe it's forcing me to have more balance or to take better care of myself or to be healthier or to, or to enrich my life in other ways. Uh, because Bert calls me granny because like my granny, 
that woman never sat down all day long. And I just don't either. Well, I do sit down now a lot because I'm on a computer a lot. But you know what I mean? I'm always doing something. And so it made me start saying, huh, you know, I look forward to the day when I'm not this busy. I look forward to, and then I was watching the documentary on Beckham. And the last episode, he's in what looks like uh, like a smokehouse, his own smokehouse that has like a big long table and there's a keg for beer and it looks like it's on a big farm or something. And I went, ah, I could really get into that. Mm-hmm. Like if that's what decline mm-hmm. means, if you're supposed to broaden your group of friends, your social life and really ponder wisdom and deep thoughts and smoke meat all day on a Saturday <laughs> instead of busting your ass to clean your house. I could kind of get into that. So I could see that being good. So by the end of the book, I felt the opposite of how I felt in the beginning of the book, which is kind of hopeful. And I kind of like relieved that this transition is coming, that I don't have to be like a pounded up fist just beating the wall every day. Does that make sense? Yeah. (laughs) Super long-winded, but that's how I felt. (laughs) I felt like by the end of this, I was like, okay, The next 10, 20 years might be really amazing starting in five because I'm pretty busy for the next five. But (laughs) you know what I mean? I went, okay. You may have missed the message, just FYI. (laughs) I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. Um, It's funny that you say that because I, my takeaway from this, I was like, this book reminds me sort of of menopause, right? Like here we are, we're like, what the fuck is happening? Why is nobody talking about this? This affects 50% of the population. And I feel like no, none of this information is out there. And I feel like what he's trying to say is that valuable information too. Like there is a decline happening and you don't have to beat yourself up mm-hmm. over it. There can be a graceful transition into something else. Not sure he really said it the way that I needed to hear it, mm-hmm. but I do feel like it's really valuable information that should be out there. And I think a lot of people our age are struggling with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how do you make that transition? How do you go from being the workaholic every day to mm-hmm. being like, oh, I'm going to take up woodworking. You know what I mean? Or whatever it might be. Like that's a really hard thing to get your mind around, mm-hmm. you know? It's not what we've been programmed to do. Not at all. Mm-mm, it's not. I interrupted you though, when right before I started talking. No, I think my only, my complaint about it had nothing to do with the book that he wrote. It was the book that I thought I was going to read. (laughs) That that was my complaint because I saw from strength to strength and I was, oh, midlife, great. Strength to strength, great. Okay, what's my next strength? And I I did not realize that it was really written for somebody. This book was not for me. I got a lot out of it. I can still get a lot out of it, but it was not written for me. It was not written for a stay-at-home mom who is looking at the next chapter, looking to get back into the workforce. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's fine. Um, Mm -hmm. There's still lots of takeaways from it, but it just wasn't the book that I thought that I was going to read. So then I was like, what? You're a CEO and now you're slowing down? I'm like, no. (laughs) I'm trying to be a CEO. My CEO era has yet to happen. (laughs) Well, my CEO era just started. And so... I think part of my frustration with myself in the last six months since I started, you know, really working for Bert in a different capacity is why can't I get more done in a day? You know, 
forgetting that I'm also still doing everything I did before. I don't have an assistant. Mm-hmm. I have a, a wonderful person here who helps me part-time, does my laundry and runs a few errands. But no one's putting anything essentially. No one's, you know, organizing my calendar or booking my doctor's appointments or picking up my retainer, which just came in because someone vacuumed it <laughs> and broke Whoops. it. Um, you know, I have help here and there, but I don't have, I'm still doing everything, you know, that I was doing before, essentially dragging you two Girl Scout leaders all over the place. Um, <laughs> but I, I beat myself up a bit about not achieving as much as I would like or needing more sleep and defiantly not taking it. I'm defiantly like, nope, you will stay up to 11 because you are not old. But I need to maybe stop doing that. You know, it, it mm. becomes that trying to hold on yeah. to the way I've always been might not be the wisest thing. And, you know, changes. I've never thought change is hard for me. I've always thought I've kind of welcomed change, but I don't think I welcomed it as much as I thought I did. Now that I read this book, I went, okay, I'm not seeing what's happening in a kind of a clear, a, a, a completely clear way. Well, you're inherently seeing this change as bad and that's the problem, yes. right? That's really what that's he's saying it. is that if you could do more, you would welcome the change, yes. right? But the idea that you need more sleep in order to do more mm-hmm. is like, wait a minute, I'm failing because yes. I need more sleep. And that's the that's the inherent problem that we have. We view certain things as being successful and that's the shift in focus that has to happen. Yeah, he called it something. He called it like, I don't remember. He said our society is um, hyper-focused on loss. Remember that? Yes. Where the stock market loses 10 points. We're like, oh my God. But if it gains 10 points, we don't want to talk about it. So- when he said that, I went, that's interesting. That is exactly right. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm losing my freedom by going to sleep more instead of saying I'm sleeping better. So I'm feeling better in the daytime and gaining that positivity. Right. Instead of saying, I was, I was, my life's being stolen from me because I have an hour, you know, more sleep. Um, I know he gave these nine pillars and I can never remember all nine of them. These nine things in that, back it up. He did that Harvard he talked about that Harvard study, mm-hmm. uh, that 80-year study of, hap- wasn't it of happiness? Mm-hmm. Uh, that 80-year study of, hap- wasn't mm-hmm. it of happiness? I think it was uh, of happiness. Or- I don't know if it was necessarily of happiness. It was um, in my book. Was it? I'm joking. <laughs> um, I thought it was like just sort of general wellness. Like, oh, maybe. Um uh, you might I be thought, right. Yeah, actually, I thought it was about like, it, maybe it was about happiness. Who was happier with their life? Was it like the people who had gone on? No, no, I can't remember. It was something like that. Like it that, was right? A, like, as a, like the people who went to college and then got the CEOs and all of that stuff and the people who chose like more meaning in their life as opposed, like they were looking for purpose as opposed to looking for- Achievement. Achievement. Yes. I think that was the- I think that's what And he was interested for. at the later years in his life because mm-hmm. that's what his book was focused on and the things that were present in the people who were most happy, yeah. right? Yes. And in that period of life, it was the obvious, no smoking. He said no drinking, but we'll say a little bit of drinking. <laughs> and um, working out, having a health, uh, health, maintaining a healthy body weight. And um, 
exercising regularly. That's five. But there were four more. But I remember one of them was about um, having social interactions, interactions mm-hmm. with people, not your spouse. Not your spouse. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And being happy with a spouse was good but having other social interactions with people that were not your spouse. Yeah, he and talked about diversifying your portfolio. <laughs> he did. Yeah, yeah. Yes, he did. Because his point was, if you're a CEO, you've spent so much time focusing on work. By the time you get to, let's call it retirement age, even though we're not really retirement age, by the time you're in decline and you're less effective there, if you haven't kind of shorn yourself up with, you know, playing golf every weekend with somebody and not talking about business or starting a game night with your friends, and you just are people, then you, your happiness declines because you don't have that kind of fulfillment that's not tied with achievement. It's just tied with, and it's got to be more than just your spouse. I thought that was really great. Mm-hmm. You know, I just saw someone posted on Insta that their parents had bought a piece of property with three other couples, and they each built their own house on this piece of property so that they could like, go off into the sunset together and they're all in like their 70s. Oh, that's so awesome. they all bought this one piece of property and they were all in one house. Like three of them were on the front porch dancing. You could see two of them inside the house dancing. They all had a glass of wine. And I was like, that is what I'm talking about. <laughs> that I would do all day long. Because how amazing would that be if you had all your friends all together and you could have fellowship with each other. Really, that's what that is, is a fellowship, right? I loved that. And then the other thing he talked about was, um, I'm going to misquote this, but I think he said, if it, I think it might have been in that same research study that loneliness was the biggest contributor to poor health. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and loneliness doesn't necessarily mean that you're by yourself. Right. Right? Loneliness is, is something different. And I thought that was really interesting that he said that. You can be lonely in a room full of people. Mm-hmm. You have to find your right people yeah. with meaningful relationships, with fulfilling conversations and experiences. And that's how you stave off loneliness, not by just being with people. Um, I definitely feel like I have done a good job at keeping my friends diversified. And except for the last six months when I've been so busy, I feel like I do make a big effort to do something with my friends. The last six months has been really hard, but I keep trying. You You do. You do a great job of it. I try really hard. I I feel like um, as an only child, I have to do that. Like at the Mm -hmm. end of my life, I don't have a sibling. Um, You're my sisters and Sandy's a sister and Kat's becoming a sister and, you know, I have Lacey's a sister and I have all these women that I value so deeply that I have to, I want to keep that connection forever, you know. Um, I'm really glad that I did that. I don't think I did it on purpose necessarily in the beginning. But now that I'm at this part, part of my life, I'm like, oh, we could all build a house on one piece of property. <laughs> I'd have no problem with that. I don't know how Bert would feel about it, but. <laughs> and I think about that with Bert. He has a lot of friends in the world of comedy and good mm-hmm. friends, like true friends in the world of comedy. And I'm really glad of that. 
Uh, but our friends outside of comedy, like our group of friends, we never see anymore when he's around because he's never home. And so I thought we just need to make a really big effort to continue to get him back in with all his regular folk friends because comedy is connected to work. And mm-hmm. uh, those friendships are awesome. And I really don't think they're going anywhere, but it's not very diversified. You know, like he's saying, if you need to diversify your friendship, he's got it in like one lane right now because of his life, his lifestyle. A lot of this book I thought about Bert for. Mm-hmm. All these achievements as a stand-up. He didn't care about awards or that kind of stuff, but, you know, selling out this arena and then selling out this arena and then having this film. And I'm like, hmm, interesting. What's that going to look like? Because every career has a natural decline. Mm-hmm. Um What's that going to look like when it starts slowing down for him? How does he emotionally handle that? Should we start therapy now? (laughs) (laughs) While we're at the top, I'm just saying. Um, I don't know. So as much as I hated the book in the beginning, I think by the time I got done with it, I was really glad I read it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I still don't really enjoy a lot of that information, but I think we should all try to live eyes wide open, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, see if it's not here now, what's coming. I don't know. Any other takeaways from this book? What else do we take away from this book? I don't know. I printed up two pages worth, but I don't okay. know. <laughs> 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 Show it, girl. What is it? I feel like we could have read your two pages. We and could. Been fine. <laughs> you could read This it. may have been a pamphlet book for me. It was a pamphlet book? <laughs> may have been. <laughs> now, now, let me ask you this before you do that. Were you reflective about your spouses where this book was concerned and how any of this might apply to either of your spouses? More so than to me, yes. Yes. Um, But again, part of it I found really unrelatable Mm -hmm. Um, because Stephen is much more of a workaholic. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, you know, on the flip side, he's also the guy who has never missed a softball game, has never missed a performance. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So... And he's not the guy to let relationships dissipate no, because he's, he's so focused on work. Like, yes. Yeah, so so the, by the way the author defines workaholism yes. is not Stephen. So not even though Stephen works an exceeding amount of hours, right. he's not letting his relation that get in the way of his relationships with the, his his family, his friends, etc. So right. So like it wasn't like I don't know. That's one of my big problems with this book. It was so specific about a certain specific group, but the truth is, like I think Stephen's really in a struggle. When and there's a decline. Um, like he's not going to be willing to accept that gracefully, I don't think. No. It's going to be a huge challenge. Yeah. You know? What do you think you do for that? Or how do you help that? Or how do you get in front of it? Yeah, I don't know. Read Kristen's, Kirsten's notes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what she has like, to say. Maybe read the last part of the book he could do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, I, I think that he has good suggestions in terms because he talks about three things to make the second curve mm-hmm. better develop relationships, friendships outside of your spouse, start your spiritual journey mm-hmm. and yes. embrace weaknesses. Um, and what if you don't have it? That's the tricky one. <laughs> <laughs> what if chocolate's your weakness? Do you embrace that? I think yes. that goes against eating well. Eating well is also eating to be happy. I think a little bit of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm can't do too much of that and then you won't be you won't have be an ideal body weight I like that he said an ideal body weight because ideal Mm -hmm. is I have an ideal body weight but you don't want to see me in a bikini 
You know what I mean? Like, I don't have a bikini body um, anymore. Uh, and I am struggling with that, to be honest with you. It's hard sometimes to go, really? Where's the justice? I eat really healthy. <laughs> I work out really hard. Where's the fucking justice? There's no justice in it. It just is what it is. Um, so, yeah, yeah, having a healthy body weight is is a very good way of looking at that. Because my body weight, every time I go to the doctor, they go, you're perfect, perfect body weight. No notes. Cholesterol's good. Sugar's good. Everything's good. So, but anyway, <laughs> what yeah. else? What else is on your list? Embracing weakness <laughs> is the hard one, right? Like you have to uh, acknowledge that you have one. Yes. Which is... Yeah, and it's not a, a necessarily really just weakness. It's also just vulnerability. Like, yeah. I guess, you know, tomato, tomato in some ways, but I think that you do that really well, Leanne. What? You, um, on this podcast, you're very transparent about anything that is going on or that has gone on for you that was a stumbling point. Mm -hmm. um, you're not like, here I am. I got ready for the podcast. Like, spend an hour doing makeup and hair, you know, and you're just like, here I am, you know, mm -hmm. and you look great. So you don't need all of that. But I think that that, that embracing vulnerability of saying like, this is what I look like, or whatever. That's something that I'm not doing very well because I'm like, oh my God, the camera's on. My God. Uh, well, that's a very nice compliment. I think. And people respond to that. They really respond to that because they're like, Oh, okay. She looks great. I can, I can let myself think I look great not wearing makeup or I can, it's not just all about looks. It's about mm -hmm. just all of the stuff, any of the stumbling blocks that you've mentioned. I think that you really do a great job of that. And it really Aww. is exactly what he talks about. It draws people to you. Mm -hmm. People are drawn to vulnerability mm -hmm. and, um, but it is a challenge for other people. Right. I, I know what you're talking about. I think that's a really interesting perspective. I don't really think of myself as vulnerable. I think of myself as very open. I'm, a, I'm an open book. I don't really hide much. And sometimes that's a flaw. Sometimes that's a weakness. I mean, I was in a conversation with Bert's business manager with a third party and someone said something that I knew was ridiculous. And I just had to go, keep your mouth shut. Just keep your mouth shut. Keep your mouth shut. Don't have that look on your face. <laughs> Maybe play with your pen. Because <laughs> you know that is not true. And I just let him keep talking, but it took a lot of effort for me to just keep my mouth shut. You know, right? So <laughs> I think I'm just an open book. And maybe that looks like vulnerability. Maybe it is vulnerability. But I don't it's, know. But uh, whatever it is... Um, it's not coming from a place of wanting to hide and show something that you're not. No, that's very true. But I wonder, I guess vulnerability is different for everybody. I mean, yeah. vulnerability for me is admitting that I need help, that I can't actually continue to run everything I ran before I started this job and this job is becoming more and more difficult. And I just cannot bring myself to say, hey, I might need some help, like all the time. But you're talking about it right now. So that means that you are admitting that. Whether or not you're acting on it and hiring the help is a totally different story. <laughs> it's called stubborn. But you're talking about it, <laughs> but talking about it in a very public way yeah. is vulnerability. It's like, it's 
yeah, just talking about our challenges, like whatever our stumbling blocks are. I feel like you're very vulnerable though. You, but maybe you hide it a lot. Maybe you're more vulnerable than you let me see. (laughs) (laughs) Not going to talk about it. Next question, please. (laughs) I am with my friends one-on-one. I'm extremely open and vulnerable, but um, in terms of like out in public, not that I don't have a public persona. It's not like I'm not talking about like Bert's public persona yeah. versus private, but I just mean, um, I'm more like, like a duck, like kicking my legs really, really fast underwater, but everything's good. Everything's good. Yeah. Everything's good. I'm, I'm handling it. I'm handling it. Yeah. Um, instead of going, ah, I'm drowning here. Yeah, right. I need help. I'm not right. somebody who ever asks for help. And, um, that's a disaster. <laughs> it really is. A disaster? Yeah. I think it is. I'm absorbing that. I'm not it's not a disaster for me, but it's definitely not the best choice for me. It would be much better if I asked for it's help. It's not a sustainable practice, it's I guess, not, is another way of saying it. And I say that, that yet I've been doing that my whole life. Yeah. I'm 53 and I've never asked for help, essentially. Right. Here and there. But so not you've sustained any kind it till now, but it, it's just not sustainable long term. At some point, the bottom gives up. Why? Because I'm in decline? Thanks. <laughs> Thanks a lot. No, but it's also part of your personality. Like you own that. You're like, I don't ask for help. Right. Like, so admitting yeah. that you would have to change that is a massive shift in who you are. It's true. Right. Yeah. So interesting. Fascinating. <laughs> Do you ask for help, Kathy? Do you ask for help, Kathy? I don't ever need help. Uh, yeah, I don't think anyone in this group ever asks for help. And I think it's problematic. I'm here to say that it's problematic. Did you just say, I don't ever need help? Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Red flag. It's a red flag. Might be a red flag. Not at all. I don't ever need help. Oh, geez. So you're not vulnerable or you get a help either. You've got double trouble over there. Yeah, Kathy's just a contrarian about the vulnerability. She's like, this is bullshit. I don't have any, okay? (laughs) I don't know. You even know what you're talking about. Right? Stupid book. (laughs) Stupid book. What's next on your list? Oh, 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 I don't know. I'm not even wearing my reading glasses. My vulnerability is that I need reading glasses. It's hanging out all over the place Um, today. It really is. Um... Talk amongst yourselves. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. What else about this book? Yeah, I did think Mm -hmm. about, I actually thought about, um, Bert and I talked about this a lot when we were on vacation, Mm -hmm. which was really cool. You know, one thing I think, one of the reasons Bert and I work is that we talk about the future without living in the future. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Where we've always had this, you know, the summit, like we talked about, where we go, What's go? What, what's our five years from now look like? Like, what do we want that to look like? So that we have something to visualize and to like hope for and to dream about together, right? So we're in the Caymans and he was like, I think I want um, to start playing tennis again because I think I want like when we're really slowing down to play tennis regularly. So he loves tennis. So he's 51, so now's the time to start getting all those muscles up and running. So when you're 61, you're not blowing out a knee, right? 
And I was like, well, what else? And he said, you know, I think I would like to, uh, what else did he say? Travel more with me just for fun. Not, uh, we've always traveled just for work. And then it would be in a fun place. But the two of us never just go on a vacation like we just did. That was our first vacation in 20 years where we didn't have work or kids connected with traveling. I mean, we've been away for a night, but not like five days. We haven't done that in 20 years since our honeymoon. So um, I've been now looking at the world and looking for those things also. Mm -hmm. Like when I looked at Beckham and saw this smokehouse in the middle of a field, my pop had a smokehouse. We used to smoke hams there four or five times a year and stay up all night and play cards and watch the thermometer. Don't know why we did it all night because 12 hours is 12 hours. Why can't you start at 6 a.m.? I don't know. We start at 6 p.m., stay up all night and eat saltine crackers. I don't know. I don't get it. But I was like, I could spend a whole day in a smokehouse just watching the, th the thermostat and shooting the shit. I love doing that with Pop. And so I could see that on a piece of property where all my friends have a house also <laughs> and we're just smoking all together. We could have be been amazing. smoking on on Sunday when the kids were ziplining. We oh, could have yes. been just oh watching God. that thermostat like, while yeah, they were right? ziplining. Exactly, exactly. But now it made me, you know, excited about thinking about that is that mm -hmm. we thought about it together and went, oh, that'll be really cool. You know, it would be cool to take a vacation once a year without our kids or without work. And it would be cool to you know, I don't know. Anyway, it's something hopeful to look forward to, I guess. What else? Is that was my talk amongst yourselves moment. You're supposed to be ready. Okay, so I'm ready. I'm ready. Um, I like one of the things he brought up was the importance of cultivating eulogy virtues over resume virtues. Uh -huh. So talking about we want to get, we want to be good people, but then we get caught up with amassing, doing things that are really more resume virtues and that you want to spend more of your life, especially in the second half of your life, um, really doing those things that are not, not focusing on the resume, focusing on the eulogy of it and the, how you make people feel, how mm -hmm. people feel around you and about you. Um, which we I, already do that. We do. We run a Girl Scout troop. We do. And we we care. Those deeply. little rats, those kids. Um, on Sunday, um, Leanne was lining. Uh, she, she was going to go sign us in. And she said, hey, could you get the a picture of the kids? I'm known in the group. I'm also known in my family as the photographer. It's the, you know, the documentarian. I'm uh -huh. like the, the historian. So Leanne said, could you go get a picture of the group? in front of the Skull Canyon sign. I was like, yeah, of course, I'm on it. And we literally had to walk by the Skull Canyon sign. I wasn't like hauling them on a long hike or something. Yeah, it was on we the way. We had to walk right by it. And I said, hey guys, let's hold up here. Let's just, let's get a, and one of the kids said, a photo opportunity, <laughs> because that's what I say. I'll be like, guess what guys, it's time for a photo opportunity. Uh, uh, like, a photo opportunity. <sighs> I'm the eye rolling, the, oh my God. <laughs> like it was the worst thing that ever happened. Like they're not taking selfies all day long and posting them to every social media site possible. Yeah. I'm like, guys, and I work fast. I think we can all admit I work fast. Yes, I'm very. not forcing them to line up and like get the purpose shot. I, I take, I brrr, take a million, million at once. It's done in 20 seconds. Yep. 
the complaining that happened. <laughs> and then one of them was like, oh, remember in Widawi when Kirsten woke us up at 5 a.m. for a photo opportunity. I'm like, what are they talking about? We were sleeping at 5 a.m. Nobody was waking up at 5 a.m. for anything, not even for a flight. Nothing. Right. And they're telling these horrible tales. So, yes, like, oh, we're doing this great thing. It's really being received in a, in a good way. A little salty about that. It was pretty funny. It was funny. but It was funny. Unnecessary. Um. <laughs> I agree. We all should be, but we talk, I've talked about that a lot on this podcast. You all should find some way of being of service mm-hmm. and that's a eulogy builder or whatever you just called yes. it. Yeah. Uh, instead, you know, everybody should be doing that. Uh, even when you're 18, uh, it doesn't have to be an, a late in life thing. It should be yeah. your whole life. It should be part of your life. Yes. Well, some of the, some of my saltiness with his ideas are just the relationship, spiritual journey, embracing weakness that it's like, really, these are lifelong lessons. Yeah, absolutely. And half it, that shit I started when I was 20. I remember being yeah. 20 and realizing I never cried. And I went, I think that's actually a problem. Like boyfriends would break up with me and I go, okay, no cry. And I went, I think something's wrong with me. Like, so I st- you are an unusual person though. Yeah. I think most people would have just been like, I'm so tough. Look at me handling shit. And that is an unusual but exemplary thing to be able to like self-reflect and to go, I need to look into this. Most 20-year-olds are not saying, I'm not crying. I need to look into this. They would be either Mm. just saying, well, this is just the way I am or I'm so tough or I'm so strong. Well, I think I had done that for a long time. I've said, look how tough I am. Look at this. I Nobody can make me cry. And then at a certain point went, hold on, that might not be healthy. Like you should be able to cry. Like if your cat dies, you should probably cry. And like denying yourself crying is a bad habit, you know, to force yourself to hold it in. So I just started watching like beaches, steel magnolias, <laughs> terms of endearment. Those were my three. I just rotate through them and, and it took me a little time to let myself really cry. And I was like, well, if I can cry by myself, then I can cry in front of somebody. It's the same thing. So, but yeah, I watched those movies like over and over again to make myself cry and it worked. How about that? Wow. Yeah. Therapy by film, feature film. Anyway. Yeah. Um, That's his analogy too about like, <clears throat> what is it? As opposed to like creating was the whole art analogy, right? Like in, we take a blank piece of paper and we add something to it to create something, right? In Western, right? His art analogy is like, you take a block of something and you chip away tiny pieces to create something. Like it's just a different philosophy of how you create something. And that's, like something's yes. already in there. They yeah. believe in Italy. You have to. Yes. And it reveals itself to you yes. as opposed to an American sculptor would go, well, let me make this into what I think it should be. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. And same with like personality or, you know, insight or whatever, right? Like you, sometimes you have to chip away of the things that are not so healthy for you to find out what's really inside. Well, what's interesting about that is if you look at it the reverse, right? If you've already in you, and it reveals itself to you, mm-hmm. right? That's a welcoming of discovery. You know, it's like the loss versus gain theory he was talking about before in the book. 
that's a really interesting way of looking at self-discovery mm-hmm. or um, finding your vulnerabilities could be looked at as self-discovery, right? If you discover and you're curious about what's holding me back from who I want to be or from, uh, I don't like saying from what I want, because if you are who you want to be, then in theory, what you want should show up, right? You maybe maybe have to articulate or focus that, but usually who you want to be should be the goal, I think, because your ethics and your work ethics and your uh, all of that stuff, your interests um, will point you to what you want if you know who you are, right? Curiosity about who I am. And I think that's a really good thing to do in parenting is to say, well, who are you? And what are you about? And what do I need to give you to, to make you uh, even better at that? And sometimes they won't take it, you know, but at least if you try and see it and not see, well, what's my agenda or what's my set of rules or what's society's set of rules that are placed on you, especially having a kid like Isla, you know, <clears throat> it's been really fascinating working her through this college application process. And she's so not a typical kid that it's a confounding for teachers and counselors and and really not understanding how she's going to be successful in the world. And I have absolutely no doubt that she will be just fine. And I'm so glad I have that perspective. She was writing something for her college application and her counselor was like, I think it needs one more pass. And I was like, I think it's good because one more pass and now you've gotten away from who she is, right? Uh, What's important is that she represents who she is accurately. doesn't mean that she doesn't need someone to proofread it, but at a certain point, you got to leave it alone and let it be representative of her. And then if she doesn't get in the college because they don't like what she wrote, that's not her path. And you have to trust that path because it that came from her. That's authentic to her. And if that bothers her, then you have to parent that, you know, that, that and help her figure out how to adjust and deal and process that. And it's imperfect. But at the same time, I would never want her to be someone she's not. Authenticity is, um, is all you have. Really, it's all you can really own. So, anyway, <laughs> from strength to strength. <laughs> Teen edition. So that, that if you think about figuring out who you are as a young person, as the marble that reveals itself to you, that's a very different way than chipping away at the marble. Both of them are effective, right? But one may speak to you differently, right? It's all about how you receive things and what hits you that causes you to change. And when, and right? When. Sometimes things reveal themselves and they have to reveal themselves over and over throughout your life until you're willing or able to receive them. Mm-hmm. So it's called stubborn. There's that. <laughs> <laughs> I have that. I have that a little bit. But anyway, what's next on your list? You know, we went through a lot of this. I, one thing that I wrote down and I don't remember exactly how it was, but I remember... He talked about doing a reverse bucket list. And do, do either of you I, remember I this? I remember it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what the exercise was? Um, you're supposed to write it on a plate, not a bucket. I'm no. Or <laughs> 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 so corny. Um, you're supposed to, it's about 
I think it was about intrinsic value stuff. I think so too. It was not about like experiences. It was about the eulogy list building. Like, what do you want to leave the world with? What do you do to uh, enrich yourself? Do you make more friends? Do you have a conversation about, you know, Gandhi with somebody? Do you, what, what is it that will enrich you? Let's talk about Gandhi. <laughs> I'm just saying. Do you start a podcast with your friends because that enriches your life? Yeah. You know, what is it that is enriching? I know, right? But you see, you already did this. You, you started a podcast to strengthen your relationships with it's not just us like we're not the only people on your podcast but it's mostly friends Mm -hmm. I know you have like some celebrities and yada yada but for the most part you have your friends on here and have conversations so you it's like you didn't need to read this book because (laughs) no but I did I got a lot out of the book I I really hate literally was cursing this book for the first third and then after a little bit I went okay how can I apply some of this is I, there's no way I'm reacting this strongly and I don't need it. There's something in here I need. So let me get to what I need. You know, it was like I read Men Are From Mars and Women From Venus and I thought everyone should burn this book to the ground. This is the <laughs> most misogynist, horrific book ever. And then after I again said, why are you reacting so strongly to this book? What in this book do you need? And I have to tell you, there's a couple of things in that book that has been key positive components in being married, (laughs) not just to Bert, but in being married and breaking down the difference between a a male energy and a female energy in a relationship and what their needs are. And they are accurate in my relationship, except I'm the male energy. (laughs) That's why I say energy, because... They were talking about men needing cave time. Uh, Bert does not need cave time. I do. And that sometimes women just want to be heard and not solved. That is Bert almost all the time. He does not want me to solve his problem. He wants me to sympathize and to say, wow, that really stinks. And it takes all I can to not go, (laughs) well, if you would just do blah, 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 or have you thought about (laughs) da, da, da. And that's Venus, right? But... I had him read the book and he came back to me with the same perspective. You need cave time. Now we have a language. We can say, I need some cave time. Got it. We've used that our whole marriage. And then he'll say, I'm going to start this conversation and I just need you to listen. I don't need you to help me. And I go, got it. And it came from the worst book on the planet. I mean, (laughs) I literally read that book and guy, this guy hates women. Uh, But you have to, if you're self-reflective, maybe find something in the book if you want to, if you choose to. I did that with this book where I was like, "Ah, I'm going to throw it. I hate this book so much. Hold on. What do you really need to know? So I'm really glad we read it, actually. Oh, I am. I'm really glad we read it. I would not have chosen to read it. You were off the hook. I wouldn't have chosen it, but I'm glad it came came for a reason, right? Yeah. It landed in all our laps for some reason. So yeah. if there's one thing you get out of it, then that's the reason. You know, what's your one thing you got out of it, Kathy? I got a lot of things out of it. Okay. I didn't enjoy it and it was a drudgery to get through, <laughs> but I do think there is valuable information. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's important to acknowledge that there is a decline. There mm-hmm. is something that's going to happen to us um, if it hasn't already started. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's, it's always good to have that knowledge going into it. Mm-hmm. 
sure, I don't want to read it. And I don't want him to spend 200 pages on it. Like, Mm -hmm. dude, you could have summed it up a little bit quicker. But, you know, um, yeah, I do think it was valuable. There's definitely valuable information in here. Yeah. And and some of the so he does go on and on and on and on about the decline. But the he does talk about the strengths that um, people our age and older Mm -hmm. have strengths. Um, and so he talks about the idea of, of synthesizing ideas that improves later in life and um, language and vocabulary improves. So even learning languages, I think that is fascinating. That is not what I grew up learning. It mm-hmm. was like, oh, you have to teach them when they're young or else, you know, right. you'll never develop an ear for language. And he, his, um, his studies show the opposite, um, that the sense of history crystallized intelligence increases with age. It doesn't diminish until much later in life, if at all. Mm-hmm. Even that, the data was, if at all. What is crystallized intelligence? Um, I don't really remember. I remember him talking about that in that term, but I don't really remember what that meant. There's two kinds of intelligence. One was like fluid. Fluid and crystallized, yeah. And I forget how he defined both of them, really. I think fluid was innovative because mm-hmm. that was what he talked about being right. in decline in past 40-ish. Um, but crystallized, I believe it's just all of all of your smarts, everything that you've learned. Like wisdom-like. Yes, and so you mm-hmm. take that with you. It's not that, yes, we may forget things from time to time, but that you're in general taking the bulk of your knowledge with you and then, and still building on that, just not at the same rate as mm-hmm. before. So mm-hmm. um, that's where the wisdom comes from. Um, and he really talks about teaching, mentoring, and advising in later years as being huge strengths. And even talks about how this, I think, would be helpful for all of our kids in college and then looking to get into college is that um, the older profs tend to get the highest ratings on Rate My Prof. Mm-hmm. Um, because part of that is that crystallized intelligence. Prof is professor for those of you who didn't grow up in Canada. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> is that a Canadian thing? It's not Never a Canadian thing. Never heard it called a prof. Really? No. Oh, interesting. Have you? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I have not. Okay, Maine and Canada. <laughs> they are very don't, similar, actually. Don't shame my country of origin. Not shaming. <laughs> Just saying. The I lower wish. 48 may not know All right, about professors. Maine. Professors. Older professors are good. The prof. <laughs> yes. I wish you would have focused more on how to capitalize on those strains. Like, I think he focused too much on the decline. Yes. Well, like, I wanted I wish- to know. I was like, okay, what can I do other than right. teaching or being a professor <laughs> um, in my later years. What can being I do? Are there any leader. other jobs that are available to me? Home health care? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Did you see her? Yes. <laughs> the definition of a baseball. <laughs> You got like you a stick guy. Me like you're gonna stab me. <laughs> That's funny. I'm not into home health care, huh? That's, Those people are walking saints. They are yeah, walking. It's not my goal. Saints. No. <laughs> uh, I agree with you. I think it, a, a bit more. Um, what to do? Because to be, what's interesting is that. People are working longer in their lives, mm-hmm. right? 
So if you're in decline, let's say people used to retire, 55 used to yeah. be retirement age. Mm -hmm. I'm 53. That means I would be two years from retirement. And But people were only living to be like 69, 70s. You know, mid 70s was, was old. We're living into our late 80s, 90s now. So you're telling me I'm, I'm going to be in decline for longer than I was in, in your non-decline, what do you call it? <laughs> Ascension, right? So I'm supposed to spend a greater time of my life in decline with no direction other than make new friends to keep the old. <laughs> One is silver and the other is gold, We're right? just going to be singing freaking Girl Scout songs <laughs> in the <Forever>. backyard. <laughs> There's no the direction smoker. for that, right? Right. That's Okay, yeah. mentor somebody. Guess what? You can't make a living at that. Yeah, so, exactly. Where's my job? Where's That's the what job? I wanted That's to say. What I mean. Where's my job? A Walmart greeter? Yeah. Okay. About embracing my spiritual journey. I'm like, yeah. okay, my spiritual journey isn't pain. It's so. not. That, you know, that is one of the other things about this book. There is a lot of this that you sort of have to have a very well-established financial portfolio in order to pursue some of this. Absolutely. Yes. Right? Which is yeah. a little bit... Shitty? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Like it's asking a lot of people, just walk away from your job and focus on your spirituality. It's like, well, who's paying my mortgage in that case? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the reality is that's not, I, no matter how much you're facing this decline and you would love to focus on something else, you still have to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. So even this my may dad, be a little pie in the sky. I think you're exactly right. I think that he um, is from a bit of an elite Mm -hmm. background in that way um because regular folks what do you get what you can't you can't do that just mentor you can mentor uh at, after your job you know at the end of your day when you're exhausted and need more sleep <laughs> exactly but yeah i think you're right i think i would have liked a little bit more direction and career path uh, i guess he he left it broad so you could mm -hmm. interpret it yourself but Let's think creatively about what that would be, you know? Could be a music teacher, maybe, if you're a musician. Could be a tutor, if you're a retired teacher. Could be, I mean, what else? Office manager, if you, you know, an office manager is- I mean, consulting is probably the thing that mm -hmm. leads the most, right? If he's talking about CEOs or whatever, like, and it is it is about crystallized intelligence and all of the history that you have. One mm -hmm. of the things that may lend- to your career path could be consulting mm -hmm. on startup companies or whatever. Maybe that's a good path for some people. That might be for CEOs, you know, but what's a good path for a school teacher? For other people? Or for, you know, I don't know. Like my dad just started working for someone else and working a couple days a week because he, he, um, he, he was like, I, I can't just totally stop working and he won't let me give him any money, even though I do anyway. Um, he still needed to work a little to, mm -hmm. to really live a comfortable life, you know, even with but Social also Security. also for your dad, it's fulfilling. It is right? fulfilling, There is a yes. piece of that. And that's what I think he's trying to get at. You need to find something that's fulfilling. Yeah. But you do have to have the financial stability to be able to do what is fulfilling mm -hmm. as opposed to what pays the bills because mm -hmm. those don't always coincide. No, they don't. So, Okay, so what was, what did I ask you what you learned from this book? What's your one takeaway? Um, I, my takeaway was this book was not written for me. So I would recommend it 
to people who, you know, had a different path than I did. Um, But my takeaway is also that, that there are strengths. Um, I wish she was a little bit more clear about what those strengths were. (laughs) Could he have visited you and gone, Kirsten, your strengths are. I know. I was like, you know, if he could do that, that would be very helpful. So (laughs) should we workshop that? What are Kirsten's strengths? Hmm. You're a very good listener. This whole vulnerability thing is going really well for her right now. I know, right? You're very kind. Mm -hmm. You're good at teaching. Um, You're very hardworking. Very hardworking. Mm -hmm. Excellent work ethic. Very Um, compassionate. Yes. Way more so than me. (laughs) Well. No, you are super compassionate. You always see, um, uh, how do I say it? I don't know. I want to say like the liberal side of things, but like you are super like empowered and passionate about things that are important to you. Like you stand up for those things often. You do. Thank you, Kathy. (laughs) I agree. You have a lot to offer and a lot to give. You're very, very smart. You're very bright. And you can figure things out. I could be a prof. (laughs) You could be a prof or home health care. Either one. (laughs) Uh, What do you want to do? No holds barred. Mom's mom's got her boots back on going back to work. What do you want to do? Well, I mean, I just want to write. I just want to write. Uh So I want to, I would like to get paid for writing. I would like to sell my book. Um, But I would, I'd love to do what Jocelyn is doing. I'd love to ghostwrite also. Have you ever um, talked to her about doing it and how she got into it? I have not. Why don't you take her to lunch? <laughs> or I'll take you both to lunch and then you can talk to her about it. Do you want to do that? Sure. Didn't we podcast together? We did. Yeah. yeah. In the pandemic. Oh, I'm okay. sure she can help you get that started lickety split. She's been doing that a long time. I Yeah, I love I love the storytelling of, of that. Um, so not just writing my memoir, but just... I love helping people with theirs. I'm in a writer's group. And so we do, that's what we do every week, right? every Thursday morning. And, um, and I loved that about my classes. That was my favorite part about the classes was just helping people focus their story. Right. So you could be a professor. Uh, I don't have the credentials. I don't have a PhD. I, you don't need a PhD. You do no. to be prof. <laughs> Maybe you, but could you, just you be could pro. teach. <laughs> could be a pro. You could teach. I would. I'd need to get at least my MFA. I only have my bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. This is something I'm really good at. I'm really good at talking myself. Yeah, I don't know that that's true anymore. That's but. not a strength. I know it's not, yeah. <laughs> talking yourself out of things is yeah. not a strength. I, I'm aware of that. Thank you. Um, and I think a lot of people have that. You've got to be close to getting a master's. Like, don't all these classes count for something? Mm. Or no? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Well, let's find out. <laughs> do you like editing? I love editing. Yes. I actually do that for a, a part-time job. I have a mm. part-time job editing. Well, I think we should uh, sit down with Jocelyn and, ha- and talk to her about it because it might be mm-hmm. a lot smaller leap than you think. It might not be a big deal at all. She works with an agency. You know, she has an agent. So it might be the, some writing samples and you're on your way. That would be easy enough, wouldn't it? That would be great. I may have a project for you. I didn't know you were really interested in that. We'll talk about that offline. 
I do. I have a project okay. that I've been trying to start and I don't have time. So okay. that might work. Okay. Next book club book. You both have suggestions. Hit me. What yeah. are they? <laughs> What's yours? You had a suggestion. I do. Oh, I just randomly had a book that I read like some blurb. I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. And then I, when I saw the book, I was like, oh, I think this is the book Parisa recommended that she was going to give me after she was finished it. So, and I think it's a memoir. Um, what's it called? what's it called? Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. What you is that? Book? I don't think that's a memoir. I think no? I read that. You and did? I, if, I, if it's the one that I'm thinking of, I really enjoyed it. Oh, yeah, okay. I heard it was really great. Um, but if you've already read it, what's your recommendation? I took a picture too of, uh, of one, but what's your recommendation? Well, mine is um, a friend of mine who is oh, a published right. author. She's written a whole bunch of books. Um, sippy cups are not for Chardonnay and um, <laughs> nap time is the new happy hour that she published a long time ago. This is her memoir. It's called Drunkish, a memoir of loving and leaving alcohol by Stephanie Wilder Taylor. Wow. And it publishes, it's got like a, a reg, um, I think it's like Simon and Schuster. Um, it's going to be published in January, but I got an advanced reader copy and it's, wow, it's, it's really good and it's really like she's very funny. Mm-hmm. So it's really about her love affair with alcohol and how hard it was to get sober. But she tells it in a very funny, very accessible, very, very best friend way. Um, I And I think it's really something that we could talk about. We oh, could, really? Like, yeah. What do you think? It's up to you. You're kind of reading something similar to that now. So do you want to stay in heavy or? Um, well, I'm fine with it. It sounds great, actually, when she was describing it. I think because it's your friend, we should read it. Right? Is she going to be okay if we revert to shreds? I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I think because it's your friend, we should support that. And, and can read she that. join? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She'd totally join. Then let's do and that. She's really fun. She, you'd, you'd love her. It's she's, funny that you're looking yeah. where our author is. I, I know. I totally. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she should join. Uh, yeah, let's do that and have her join. That'd be awesome. Okay. Can she get yeah. us advanced copies? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Good. Okay. That'd be awesome. What's this called? Drunkish? But Drunk-ish. no one can read it with us. When is it going, oh, yeah. coming out? Uh, January. Oh, perfect. And then they can buy, we'll just record this in January. And then, yeah. that's perfect. Oh, yeah, there you go. And then we'll have all the holidays to read it. <laughs> Are you panicking about the holidays? Because I'm yes. panicking. Yeah, I had just started, actually. I've started I saw too. something today that said Christmas is in 38 days. I was <gasps> like, what? Whoa. Who the fuck needed to now put a I'm calendar vulnerable. on it? Yeah. Now I'm I did not We're need that information that. in my head. Like That's that horrible. was 38 days. That put me over the edge a little bit. Yeah. Oh my God. I did not need the countdown. Yeah. Oh, you know what it was? Stupid toys for tots. I was doing our research for Girl Scouts and I was like, oh, for the love of Pete. You know, that this weekend is not on my calendar. So I got to go look on band and see if it's on band. Yes, I it think is. it is. It's not, it didn't come up on my calendar. Oh, Ooh. I'm pretty sure it's on there because 19. this was always oh, on here. Oh, it's on my calendar. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I was probably looking at a different 19th. <laughs> this is a, an exact example of my decline. <laughs> I can't read my own calendar. I'm in series decline. Oh my goodness. <laughs> 
maybe you just chose not to read the calendar. You're I like, did. I no, can't I, deal with I it. I actually <laughs> looked for it when I got your text uh-huh. about, or your text about. <laughs> <laughs> Someone else clearly is in decline also. <laughs> <laughs> I checked my calendar and clearly I did not know how to check my calendar. So I'm on her team now. The other person declined. Anyway, well, I'm glad you suggested this book. I'm glad I read it. I am really glad I read it. So thank you very much. Thanks for reading it. Thanks for always reading the books. I love this. It's always worth it. Yeah. I think so, right? Yeah. They're almost, yeah. almost always worth it in some capacity, right? And I'll look forward to reading that. I'll that'd be yeah. that'll be great. Um if it's easier for her to just ship it, she can ship it to my house or here or you or whatever. Whatever's easier. Okay. Okay. Right. Thank you guys. Okay. <laughs>